Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to the Politics Guys with your hosts, Dave Carson and Michael Darnowski. Welcome to the Politics Guys. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. My co-host this week, as always, is Cleveland area attorney and sometime Republican strategist Jay Carson. We start this week with my hands-down least favorite political pseudo-event, a national party convention. And why? Well, because at no other time in the political calendar is so very much made of so very little. The Republicans had their convention last week in Cleveland, and there was plenty of breathless media coverage about using dead kids as political props, plagiarized speeches, and former opponents being booed off stage, among other things. So, Jay, what, if anything, of importance happened in Cleveland, in your view? Well, you, you say that nothing happened, but look, look at all that stuff. Um, no, I, I mean, I would say this this was very much a, a different convention in terms of there was some actual real drama. Uh, it was not all completely staged, and I think that's kind of much to the chagrin of of, of some Republicans and, and sort of a point of pride with others. Um, the the uh, Cruz <laughs> non-endorsement. I mean, that's that's new. I mean, first of all, there was the uh, there were two uh, attempts to to change the rules. Uh, these were none none were particularly expected to uh, succeed, uh, and they were they were beaten back pretty handily and pretty quickly. Uh, with Trump then magnanimously saying, in the interest of party unity, we crushed them. Um, but uh, uh, you know that's that's something that doesn't usually happen, and it speaks to the the divided nature of the Republican Party right now. Um, you know, as far as the 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 convention itself, I I agree as a, a political observer that it, it's in it's sort of like uh, you know because we're at this time of the year, like you're you're really just big blockbuster dumb summer movies, um, you know, right? That, that sort of they that are sort of put on. Uh, that uh, cost a whole lot and have uh, uh, all kinds of, of, of stars and special effects, but uh, are really just there to sort of sell popcorn. Um, so conventions, yeah, do typically tend to be like that, and you don't usually get big defining moments. Um, but this was this was a little different in that there there is some was and is some underlying drama. Um, I see what you're saying. Sure. I I see what you're saying. And I guess in a way I, I, I would agree with that. Uh, I suppose my response would be yes, but it doesn't really tell us anything that we didn't already know. know. We knew that the, uh, the Republican party was divided and the convention wouldn't fix that. I don't think anyone really expected Ted Cruz to just suddenly embrace Donald Trump. But I I disagree. I, I think, I think the, the media expectation and the expectation, I think, of most uh, delegates and most uh, Republicans was that that uh, Cruz would uh, endorse Trump, albeit sort of a tepid endorsement, a sort of, mm. <clears throat> you know, I signed a pledge and it's time to all come together type type thing. Uh, uh, but I, I think that was very much the expectation is that he would. Uh, and then there was the shock when when he specifically didn't. You know, the other interesting from the inside baseball is is that uh, you know Trump had an advanced copy of this, 
of of the uh, Cruz right. speech. Now he um, claims that Cruz inserted some things that uh, that weren't in the advanced copy I read, but uh, but yeah, and some people say that but, actually but so Trump the, the, wanted the, the that. Big, if you're Trump and you're reading the advanced copy, you're going to be kind of scanning for uh, where's the endorsement sure. part. <laughs> I mean, that's where you're going to skip ahead. But you know, and, and there are some people who say that Trump actually wanted that because that would that would raise. I mean, that would you know bring on a lot more publicity than just kind of a, a tepid endorsement. And so Trump seems to be a believer that you know there's no no such thing as bad publicity, right. and that would play right into that. Now there there are a couple of things that I thought were at least somewhat interesting. I suppose number one, uh, Peter Thiel, who got on stage and said, "I'm proud to be gay," which is certainly the first time that I believe a Republican national convention speaker has said that. And so right. that way, you know, and we it should point out to thunderous applause. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I think it's important also to point out that I think it's fair to say that Donald Trump is probably the most pro-gay nominee the, the Republicans have ever had. Um, most openly so. Yes, most openly pro-gay. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. And that's, I, I so that's think, something. I, I mean, my my sense is I, I think uh, uh, you know if you were to examine. George W. Bush's personal feelings or Mitt Romney's personal feelings uh, towards gay people, I think they, they sure. would be compassionate. But but in terms of making uh, open policy statements, yeah, this is the first. And, and part, part of that may be due to Trump and part of it also just might be the times. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I'm not saying that if you're, you know, uh, an immigrant gay person that Donald Trump would necessarily embrace you. But certainly if you are a, or a white Muslim American, yeah, exactly. An immigrant Muslim gay person probably would not do too well. You know, there was that. But also I, uh, another, you know, beyond the whole cruise thing and so forth. And there were some great lines, obviously, with that cruise saying, I will not be a servile pup- puppy dog for Trump, which was obviously a wonderful quote. Uh, but John Kasich uh, insisted on speaking to the New Hampshire delegates. And in speaking to them, he said in a very Schwartz- Schwarzeneggerian, is that a word? It's going to be a word now. Anyway, wow, it's a big word. yeah, Schwarzeneggerian phrase said, I'll be back. And I think okay. both... John Kasich and um, Ted Cruz are sort of looking ahead toward 2020. They think that Donald Trump is going to lose, and they're both trying to set themselves up as the future of the party. Uh, And I think that Ted Cruz pretty clearly did that in his speech, and John Kasich did it by, you know, not uh, attending the conference. Staying the hell away. Exactly. So, Uh, and uh, and again, that's that is, and I've I've been, I've been getting all kinds of. People asking me and and uh, calling me not not listeners, um, but you're welcome to I suppose. But um, <laughs> just you know, family friends or you know around Ohio of of is is Kasich making a mistake here uh, by by you know by not going? Isn't isn't it just sort of doesn't look like sour grapes? Isn't it bad for the state? Bad for Cleveland uh, that he's not showing up? And and I have you know really sort of mixed feelings on this uh, in that. One, for the sake of, of the state of Ohio and uh, the city of Cleveland, yes, it would have been nice uh, if he could have walked on and said, uh, welcome delegates, we're happy you're here, have fun, enjoy the city, uh, I'm out of here. Um, you know, and he still could have done that without, you know, making a, a Trump endorsement. Um, and it was interesting, again, Kasich was was doing all sorts of other uh, events around the city, just not at the convention. Uh, and those events were were well attended, um, and uh, it's it's put. And he he admitted uh, there was some press uh, late last week that sort of put Ohio delegates in sort of a tough spot. Uh, delegates who 
for the most part, work within the Ohio, um, you know, establishment, let's call it, uh, and more or less have to work with John Kasich every day uh, or at least for at least the next two years, uh, but also, you know, had an obligation to go to the convention. Um, so, I, you know, I, I think it's it's a calculated risk. Um, you know, in, in uh, November, uh, John Kasich could uh, very well and, – and Ted Cruz – could very well look like geniuses, and uh, gosh, these are the principled guys who, who stood up and tried to avert disaster, uh, or or they may be on the outs altogether. Yeah, um, you know, I, I think of the two, and I never thought these words would pass from my lips. Uh, I admire Ted Cruz more, uh, in that, that, but well, I sort of admire him. I guess he took a what I think is a fairly courageous stand. But then again, I feel like Ted Cruz has always been about. Ted Cruz, first, last, and foremost, no compromises, and I think that's that that's exactly the sort of quality that would make you an awful president, certainly. Uh, but in a in a certain way, it's a little bit admirable, I, I suppose. But I would never want to see him as president. Certainly, I'd much prefer Kasich in in twenty twenty if it came to that, you know. But uh, you know, so in some other news, Donald Trump gave an interview in which he uh, expanded on his foreign policy views, uh, saying that, uh, well, you know, if some of our NATO allies are attacked, I'm not entirely sure that we would come to their defense. I'd have to take a look at, you know, what they've done for us lately. Uh, I don't know. What, what, what did you think about that, Jay? Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a bad message. <laughs> you think? <laughs> uh, and, and again, I, you know, I don't even know when you say is it a foreign policy address uh, or is it just – you know, Trump sort of talking off off the cuff. There you go. Now, during yeah. the convention speech, he made uh, notes to look NATO fit paying its fair share and so forth. Um, all right, that's that's uh, that's one thing to say, but it's, it's something else to to call into question the idea that uh, we essentially would would not honor our treaty commitments. Um, and and maybe he doesn't realize this, um, but but that's a, a dangerous sort of thing to say. That's that's the sort of talk. That's the sort of red line talk uh, that that Obama engaged in that that invites, um, you know, tr- trouble. It's sort of okay. Well, we'll try me. Um, so I, I think those were were ill considered. Um, you know, the more the more and more I, I you know, I, I think about Trump and and watch Trump and and I did a lot of thinking this last week. Believe this was in some way in some in some ways this was an absolutely fantastic, wonderful week. In other in other ways, it it was really tough, um, you know. Part of it, again, it's it's had the having the convention in Cleveland was fantastic, um, and it was sort of bittersweet in that it, it's almost like the the Browns went to the Super Bowl, but you've got Michael Vick as your quarterback. Sure, um, and uh, it, it's 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 tough, you know. I mean, I'm trying to be a good Republican and trying to. to Support the team, and and I would watch the the speech and listen, or watch the convention and listen to all the speeches, the Giuliani's and so forth, and and the other less known uh, people. And you're saying, yeah, yeah, I agree, yeah, I'm, I'm all for that. And then they say, and the man we need is Donald Trump, and it's like, yeah, right. Um, but I digress. Well, um, no, no, I think I think we know we haven't actually talked about the Trump speech, and I think I think you're right. You know, in in the sense of it's it's difficult for a lot of Republicans or traditional Republicans to to wrap their heads around. I mean, he gave, number one, he gave the longest acceptance speech in somewhere around 40 years. He also gave, according to uh, political scientists who've done like textual analysis, the most negative 
speech in 40 years. I mean, it was a negative, angry, fearful speech. It's not the sort of thing that we typically expect from a speech, which is supposed to be a hopeful, uplifting, kind of Reagan-esque morning in America sort of thing, yeah. maybe. I mean, that that's not Trump. That whole message of I alone can fix it and we're in deep trouble, folks, but that's the only way Trump wins is if he plays to a place to our – the worst part of our nature plays to our fears. Well, I, I I differ with you a little bit on the the negativity of of the speech. Uh, yeah, certainly, if you're the party who's out of power, you have to you know paint a picture of here are a lot of problems uh, as as to why you you want to um, uh, you know be be in be in power. Um, I'm thinking back to you know if you remember Bob Dole's big big pitch was you know the um, growth rate was something at three and a half and you know, he'd get it to, to four and a half or <laughs> it was a sort of, right. uh, not a big rallying cry. Um, so look, it's, it's, it's part and parcel to say things are terrible. And I think if you go back and look at um, uh, speeches um, from, say, Democrat candidates during the Reagan years, uh, the, the Bush years, um, yeah, it, it's there's plenty of, of negativity. Well, and here here's the thing. Let me here. That's actually what that's actually what uh, political science did. Scientists did. He looked at every convention speech since 1972, Democrats and Republicans, and looked at positive and negative words. And Trump stands alone. I mean, the next most negative was Bush in 2000, but it's not even close. Everyone's See, well, kind of clustered there's, there's together, and then Trump though, is. When you talk about what's sure, negative was. but I mean, but I mean, Trump stands. Far, far alone. I mean, it's he's a huge outlier in that. So I, yeah, exactly. I didn't even, yeah, exactly. So I mean, Trump is Trump is different, you know, in in so many ways. But certainly in his in his negativity. Well, and I think that's part of the Trump style. Oh yeah, absolutely. The other and the other piece on the negativity that I, I think plays into this, and and it's of necessity is if his goal was, and it certainly ought to have been, uh, to unite the Republican Party, uh, it's difficult to unite the Republican Party uh, over a Trump vision. Yeah. Uh, But what you can, what the Republicans can agree on, uh, is that Hillary Clinton would be a total disaster, Mm -hmm. (laughs) as as he would say. Uh, So I think there was a lot of of that, of the the dire... um, uh, Hillary's, you know, look, maybe you don't like me, uh, but but look what your alternative is. Um, and to me, I, I, actually, I thought we probably should have started the show with this, but uh, <laughs> sort of the, the ultimate moment uh, after the the end of the convention, for those who were, who were paying attention, um, the second song that was played as the balloons were coming down. Um, and do you, do you recall what it was? I do not. What was you it? Do not. Nope. Oh, it's fantastic! The uh, the Rolling Stones. Uh, you can't always get what you want. Ah, well, that is very fitting, isn't and, and, it? And it, it was just really sort of the message, um, I think, to all Republicans and maybe to the nation. No kidding. Um, uh, it's it's um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, and choice. also, and also, I got to give the Trump people credit for you know humor points in, in that. Um, Again, no kidding. The, yeah. The uplifting don't stop thinking about tomorrow. That is that is very that is very impressive. It kind of harkens back to you you probably recall uh in, in the 
back in 1992 when Ross Perot used Patsy Cline's Crazy as a uh, yeah. as his signature song. So it is nice to see a little bit of a sense of humor, obviously, uh, though that doesn't necessarily mean that you'd want that person as your uh, uh, commander-in-chief, certainly. Right. But, well, and a couple more words about the, the Trump speech. Sure. Um, and, and that is, for the most part, I thought he was a, a sort of dialed-back version. If you compare this to what his stump speeches or if you compare this to the debate performances, uh, he was much more – it was much more traditional, uh, less off the cuff, less conversational, um, no, no funny voices. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean it was, it, was, it was more what you would expect from a, a uh, convention speech. Um, now, again, you can say was there any grand vision set forth? No. Was there a soaring rhetoric? No. Um, but I think he got the message across that he needed to, and that is, look, times are bad uh, from a security standpoint. Particularly, uh, he's the guy who'll fix it. Right. Um, Hillary's bad from all sorts of reasons, and he's not Hillary. Um, you know, and I think I think those were the the two big big pieces. And, and you know, again, the the uh, the the gay uh, uh, piece I think is 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 worth something. I mean, there's so much of the, the media, the it's, it's sort of inevitable every, every uh, four years after the Republican acceptance speech, the media rolls out its, its Hitler tropes um, of, of well, oh my God, this well, is the end of democracy. Some this, people you know. might, but I don't think it's, I mean, I think it's certainly, uh, uh, maybe there are some Mussolini tropes that are perhaps appropriate to roll I'd out. I'd say Mussolini would be closer stretch. just from historical, but, but again, it, it, you know, I, I, all the memes. This is, and this is, isn't necessarily the mainstream media. It's more the social media, uh, sure. uh, Facebook memes, and, and to some extent, like the slates of the world and Voxes, uh, who the Vox who were, who were again, this this point, hunkering in the closet and and waiting for the the uh, jackboot. As, as, as Recline mentioned, that he is afraid, very afraid, for the first time, yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, sure. and again, don't. Don't get me wrong. I've I've gone on record a number of times saying I think Trump's a you know class A jackass, <laughs> but but that's but that's not that's not Hitler. Um, uh, and also, I mean, I wanted to respond to these folks. Well, which which part did you find particularly you know Hitler esque? The the appeal to you know respecting gay rights or uh, you know talking about promoting women. Sure. I, you know, I mean, it's it, it just fall, falls flat. And and again, that's that's just something I wanted to throw out there uh, because that kind of rhetoric doesn't doesn't help. There's plenty of, of, of good reasons that you can be against Trump and good arguments against Trump. Um, sure, but, but saying uh, he's the, like Hitler the, the is lazy. Of, the end of democracy is not one of them. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, let, let's talk about the Democrats a little bit because there was big news on that side. Uh, Hillary yeah. Clinton, she's now now has a running mate, Virginia Senator Tim Kaine. And uh, the Kaine, of course, is a former governor of Virginia, and he's widely considered a safe, boring choice for Clinton. So what did you think of the pick? Well, I, I agree with you right there. Safe and boring. Uh, he's kind of the Mike Pence of, of Democrats almost. Yeah. I think I think um, actually it it makes sense. I mean, certainly it it doesn't hurt Hillary Clinton to have a white male running with her, given that that's her worst demographic group. I mean, Virginia is not really it's, it's not really a swing state. But I think if what? Hillary Clinton were really concerned about winning the election, I don't think she's that concerned. Because if she was really concerned, she'd pick someone like uh, Sherrod Brown, 
know, right. from, from the, Ohio, and, and it, which is a much I closer state. I would have agreed too, and I would have thought Sherry Brown would have been the better pick. Um, and again, maybe it's just Ohio pride, but because of the the Ohio connection, another white male, uh, and also because, uh, yeah, white white guy. Um, but also, he is probably to the left on, of her on a lot of things, and can be more identified with the Elizabeth Warren, yeah, uh, wing. And he, he could pick up those people who who might be sort of uh, disaffected Bernie folks who maybe aren't on board with Hillary. But yeah, all right, Sherrod Brown's okay. Um, yeah, that's another so I, that's another good point because as you as you point out, the Elizabeth Warren wing of the party is uh, none too happy with another moderate centrist kind of Democrat. But I mean, ideologically, she uh, uh, Kane is right in Clinton's sweet spot. They're very similar in their outlook and so forth. So it it, it totally makes sense. They're both kind of policy wonkish sort of people. Uh, you know, I think it's a I think it's a reasonable, safe, sane choice you know not a whole lot to say i don't think well and the other i think there is an advantage you say she's not worried about virginia and she's probably not but if you recall trump did really well in virginia and it was one of those states where he did surprisingly well even up into northern virginia uh which is is sort of solidly blue um so i think there is a sense of of if you bring in kane uh you at least make sure virginia Virginia is not in play. Uh, I, I would agree with you. I'd say it's probably not a, what we would call a swing state, but it's one of those that yeah, maybe it could be. Um, I, yeah, I, I suppose. I mean, you, you're right. It's not. It's not as, as swingy of a swing state as Ohio or something like that. Right. It's so, not Ohio or Pennsylvania. Yeah. But. But uh, so yeah, I mean, there's not. I you know I didn't really feel a whole lot about Kane either way. It just seems like I I heard it and I thought okay, makes sense to me. Well, I guess that's all we have to say, man. Yeah, I thought uh, we'd have, you know, you know, yeah. you know uh, <laughs> well, before we get to our, our next story, uh, I, I want to take a minute to, I think we'd both like to take a minute, right, to thank all of our loyal listeners and to welcome new listeners because we were on vacation for over a month, but when we came back last week, our, our listener numbers were as solid as ever. There are That's still, crazy. yeah, there are still thousands of you out there who listen to the podcast every week, and we want to thank you for your continued support. Uh, and also, a special thanks to those of you who have so generously donated to the show. Your financial support, it's been a big help. And if you haven't donated but feel we're worth a couple of bucks or more, you know, we, we hope you'll consider going to our website, politicsguys.com, and donating through either the PayPal or the Patreon links that you'll find there. Uh, but the cold hard truth is that we won't be able to keep the podcast going long term unless we can increase our audience size. And we think that's possible, but we need your help to make it happen. And there are two things you can do. The single best way you can help is to go to our iTunes page and leave a review. iTunes is by far the most important podcast source and it lists podcasts in categories and in search results based in part on the number of reviews and ratings they have. And now, right now, we just don't have enough reviews or ratings to make it to even the first few pages of results. And what that means is that people looking for a good politics podcast, they're likely to end up with some obviously inferior podcast that happen to have more reviews and ratings than the politics guys. But you can help to prevent this tragedy. So please take a few minutes and leave a rating and review on our iTunes page. It really does matter a lot. 
And an even simpler way to help out is to follow us on our Facebook and Twitter pages and share and retweet our new episode posts and tweets. And you can find links to our Facebook page and Twitter pages on our website, again, politicsguys.com. Okay, enough of that. On to our next story. On Wednesday, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that Texas's minority disenfranchisement law, I mean, sorry, I mean voter identification law, violates the Voting Rights Act. The court found that the law, one of the strictest in the nation, had a discriminatory effect on blacks and Latinos because they disproportionately lacked one of the forms of identification required under the law. The appeals court asked the lower court judge to come up with a fix that disrupts the voter ID rules as little as possible while eliminating the discriminatory effect of the law, which to me seems like an entirely reasonable compromise. The court acknowledged the state's legitimate interest in minimizing vote fraud while protecting the legitimate interest of minorities participating in the process. What do you think, Jay? Well, we, we, this is probably one of the, the things we got most heated on last year was, was probably this, this Texas uh, vote, uh, vote Fraud uh, Prevention Act, mm-hmm. uh, as I'll call it. Um, you know, look, the, the Fifth Circuit is one of the most conservative uh, uh, circuits in the country. Um, and I think the, the uh, remedy that they came up with uh, is, is, is a good one. I, I feel better. It's not, it's not just the court rewriting what the legislature did. It's sort of remanding it uh, and then heading back to the legislature to find a uh, way that, that you can enforce this but that it will be – not have the discriminatory impact. Uh, the other thing importantly is that the court found that there was no uh, discriminatory intent uh, in, in the law. Now, not that it needed to. It could. It was sort of an either either or right. um, uh, discriminatory intent or discriminatory impact. Uh, but the idea is the discriminatory impact uh, can be remedied. Um, no, I believe – I'm sorry, I believe they also asked the lower court judge to reevaluate uh, whether or not the legislature intentionally discriminated against blacks and Hispanics, though I don't expect that there would be a finding of that because that's a very high bar. Oh, it is. It's, it's, it's tough to, to find, and it's, it's got to be, um, you know, unless you're going to put in the legislative history or, yeah. or get up on the floor and say, how uh, do we stop blacks and Hispanics from voting? Exactly. How about I this? Yeah. Today to stop uh, blacks and Hispanics yeah. from voting. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a tough, it's a tough case to make. Um, you know, you, you could, uh, you, there are other circumstances that you can look to around that, but, but I don't think they would be there in, in Texas. Um, yeah, uh, I agree. But, uh, but well, I mean, I know you probably you probably think they would, but well, no, uh, I don't think they would be that. I don't think they would be obvious enough to reach that conclusion. I mean, we may disagree on on, on some specifics of this, but I think we both are uncomfortable with uh, judicial activism and would prefer to the courts to be as limited as possible, generally speaking, in their rulings. Right. And so, right. I think that's what the Fifth Circuit does. And as you pointed out, maybe not. Terrifically surprising because the Fifth Circuit is a very conservative circuit, whereas if this ruling had come from the Ninth Circuit, generally thought of as one of the most liberal circuits, it probably would have been a little more sweeping. They would have written the, the you know, put out the proposed uh, forms for the new ballot and uh, showed you how to yeah. fill it out and exactly. uh, had it in, in uh, about 27 different languages and, and would have mailed it to you. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think the, the Fifth Circuit is doing the, the right thing to the extent that uh, if they're going to over, overturn this, sending it back to the legislature as opposed to 
just rewriting uh, the, the voter ID law. Uh, and, and I think it's important that they've also affirmed that there is a state interest uh, in in preventing voter fraud and yeah. uh, having voter IDs. And, and I should say, you know, I, I don't know that I've – we've talked about this issue a number of times in the past, but I don't know if I've, I've you know, made this point strongly enough. I probably haven't is I'm all in favor of minimizing vote fraud if it can be done in a way that doesn't have a – the discriminatory impact, whether intentional or not. And in fact, I don't think I've ever said that before. And I want to make that clear. I've so, never heard that yeah, before. So there you go. I think, <laughs> I think that's fine. Again, you know, we have a, you and I, we've talked about this before, I have a fundamental disagreement. I think that the, the basic reason why these laws are passed is Republicans want to stop minority voters from voting now because they hate minorities. They'd be fine with minority voters voting if they voted for Republicans, but they don't. And you think it's much more of a kind of honest above board, uh, the the sanctity of the of the voting process sort of thing. But in either case, a, a, a solution that you know, reaches that, 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 is, that finds a way to do that, to protect the process without being discriminatory, hey, I would absolutely embrace that, and I hope yeah. I hope they find something like that in Texas. I think that would be well, great. It could be a model. Happen, of, of course, though, is once once the the, the Texas legislature makes a fix, uh, that will of course go back to court because whatever fix, the plaintiffs will not be happy with it. No, no, you're right. Uh, absolutely, <laughs> you know, I can sort of guarantee you that. So, so we'll, we'll be back here again, most likely before November, uh, and. You know, we'll just have to see. Depends on on what that fix is uh, with what the court says. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, moving on, uh, big news out of uh, Fox. Actually, uh, Roger Ailes, uh, who's been CEO for well since Fox News has started over twenty years ago. It, yeah, yeah, he's uh, he's out following multiple claims of sexual harassment, and this began, of course, with accusations from on-air personality Gretchen Carlson. Her accusation was followed by a number of other women speaking out, at which point Fox launched its own internal probe and uh, ended up with uh, Rupert Murdoch saying, uh, sorry, you're going to have to go. And But I would say don't feel too bad for Roger Ailes if you felt bad for him at all. He'll be walking away with $40 million as part of a settlement agreement, which is about the amount of his current contract, which is set to run out in 2018. So uh, – I don't know. I mean, to me, it was there's not a whole lot to discuss here. It just seems like, well, you should not really be, you know, uh, sexually harassing women, no matter who you are. Whether, right, right. Whether you're Bill yeah. Cosby or Roger Ailes or, you know, this is not a good thing to do. And I'm not I'm not sorry to see him go. Certainly, I don't think Fox News is going to have any problems in the wake of this. Certainly, it's a very well-established brand. And Roger Ailes did a great job of setting up a conservative outlet. I think that Fox News has been, uh, generally speaking, while a rating success, it's been the number one cable news network for 14 years in a row, I believe now. I, I think it's done a lot of damage to political discourse, but I think that probably would have happened without Roger Ailes, you know, so, oh well. I, I disagree with you on the damage to political discourse, of course, but I would say also, look, for all the liberals out there um, who who get all exercised over Fox News and uh, Fox News is the devil and and they're they're horrible. I mean, take a look at how they handled this. Um, it it seems to have been handled in a a responsible, uh, uh, ethical, mm -hmm. uh, good way. I mean, yep. they they forced the guy out. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's important to to give credit where credit is due. And the, the Murdoch. Uh, the Murdoch kids, actually, because Rupert's not the one who's in charge of day-to-day -day stuff. Uh, the, the Murdoch kids did a good job, and you know, kudos to them. Yep. All right. Uh, 
One final story this week, the NBA, the Professional Basketball League, whose championship was won in dramatic and absolutely amazing fashion by Jays and my hometown team, the Cleveland Cavaliers, just over a month ago. That NBA, and I didn't just do that to get a plug-in for the Cavs, well, maybe partly, right. um, announced that it will be pulling the 2018 All-Star Game from Charlotte, North Carolina, in protest of a recent state law that eliminated anti-discrimination protections for LGBT people. Now, in response, North Carolina Governor Pat McCrory issued a what I'll call a nonsensical rant in which he said, American families should be on notice that the selective corporate elite are imposing their political will on communities in which they do business, thus bypassing the democratic and legal process. Now, according to the Charlotte Visitors Authority, the move will result in the loss of revenue somewhere in the neighborhood of $100 million. And this follows entertainer boycotts of Charlotte, as well as PayPal and Deutsche Bank canceling plans to add hundreds of jobs in the city due to the legislation. Uh, any thoughts on this, Jay? Well, I, 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 Governor McCrory's statement isn't is sort of not logical. I could I could have made a better argument. I think. <laughs> I think um, anyone could have, but yeah, absolutely, you could have. Look, uh, no, it, it's a little troubling again, um, just from the sense of the cultural whiplash that that we're suffering. That this is. This is not an, a situation where the NBA said uh, th- this isn't this isn't little Steven saying I'm not going to play Sun City. Um, this isn't you know <laughs> we're not going to uh, to do business in in the segregated South or, or something like that in the, the 1960s. Um, this is an issue that no one had even heard of or really thought of uh, that had not crossed anyone's radar, uh, which affects a, a minority 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 of of, of people. Um, and, and, uh, you know, the NBA is just sort of jumping on the bandwagon. So, so I say, no, I, I think, I think the, the governor has something to complain about. And I think the idea of, of, um, corporations doing this and jumping into political cultural issues is, is a little bit, uh, troubling. And I'm not talking about donating money, uh, one way or another to, to causes, but the, we're going to boycott you because of, uh, again, something that, that, is kind of complex um, as we've talked about this, that look, eventually there's probably going to be some sort of work around over transgender bathrooms. Um, and, uh, and I think this is sort of, it, it strikes me as grandstanding. But I mean, isn't it sort of the market at work at private, you know, private corporations who make, Oh no, it's, you know? it's the market at work. I'm not, I'm not saying that it's, it's, there's anything wrong there. I'm just saying it's, it's dumb. Uh, you know what I mean? I, I'm not disputing their right to do it or, or, or not do it. Uh, I'm just saying that. Uh, well, I think maybe more so. I, I think maybe more so uh, you can make a better case for the NBA as being sort of a political statement. But in the terms of corporations, especially, especially, especially when you look at all the transgender players well, yeah, well, uh, and the NBA's history of supporting uh, transgender athletes, um, you know, it, again, come on. If this, Like I said, if this was a um, – uh, you know, say we're not going to play in some city that has some sort of racially uh, offensive law, segregationist, uh, uh, even voter suppression. Let's you know put it that way. It would make more sense. Sure. Well, um, I guess what what I find what I find sort of uh, not just illogical but sort of uh, ironic and, and in a way kind of cowardly about the governor's statement is you know I, I, if he would have said something like you know what I fundamentally disagree with their decision but we made our decision and we'll stick to our guns no matter what the consequences because this matters to us but he didn't make a bold statement of principle he whined 
Right. No, and my, my response would have been, this is a, a complex issue uh, dealing with uh, concerns of individuals, of, of families, uh, and how we treat people who are, are different from us. We're having that discussion in, um, in my state, uh, and, and we're working towards a resolution on that. But, you know, we've – I've – you know, the governor said on numerous occasions when he's spoken more eloquently uh, – the you know he values the individuals uh, again you could almost make a Trumpian type type statement, um, but you know it's his job to respect first of all the will of of the people of his state and also to balance uh, those rights with with what uh, people have about concerns about opening opening uh, uh, Pandora's box uh, for you know again we talk about issues of who showers with whom in, in schools and so forth uh, that we need to work this out and really the NBA. Uh, you know, we're disappointed that they're not going to uh, be here or respect sort of the complexity of these issues. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Uh, um, he could have certainly made a much said, better statement. That said, I think Ash should, should note, uh, Cleveland has invited the NBA to have the All-Star game here. Um, well, that would be uh, fine. Which, which, would be, which would be totally fun um, because, uh, you know. But it'll be again, interesting. I'm, I'm my, but I'm going to say. Yeah, my, 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 oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, please go ahead. My my last uh, shout out uh, this week just would have been on the Cleveland convention, uh, just how it played out on the streets, and for there were there were a lot of people with jittery nerves um, on Sunday night. Uh, you know the the arguments over and we talked about this open carry and um, you know I know there were there were protest permits taken out by the Klan and the Black Panthers. Um, uh, all all sorts of sort of groups. Uh, there were rumors of citywide shutdowns. We had police training for. Uh, there were there were concerns that like freeways were going to be shut down. It was it was, and the result was as one uh, article put it. Uh, you know we were promised a a riot and uh, we got a block party. Right. Um, and I just want to say, you know, thanks to the city of Cleveland and Mayor Jackson and uh, Chief uh, Calvin Williams, who I think has, has really shown himself to be uh, a hero on the national level. I mean, if people haven't been, been watching this, um, in terms of, of uh, smart community policing. Yeah. I mean, the the protest went forward. Everyone got to have their say. Um uh, and and if you if you went down to to the city, which again, so many people, businesses, you know, sent you know, told workers don't come in this week because it's going to be insane. Um, it was it was just really a, a lot of fun, and and whatever you think about um, Trump and the, the nominee and or other nominee out there, it, it sort of gives you faith in in uh, the American people um, that. That look, we we can we can get get along together. Uh, sort of my my hippie moment here, but uh, right, uh, you know, there's also some some valuable lessons, you know, technical lessons that could be learned about community policing and how to handle some of these kind of events. Uh, yeah. The bicycle police, I think, were really effective. Uh, there was sort of an overwhelming presence in in the sense of there were police everywhere. It didn't necessarily feel like a police state. Um, you know, there weren't people in riot gear and so forth. Uh, they were all short sleeves and bikes, but they were there and they were present. And uh, so I would just say thank you to Mayor Jackson, Governor, Governor Kasich, uh, Chief Williams, all the police departments uh, who sent people here to Cleveland. Um, you know, we had we had folks from all around the country and it would take too long to mention all of them, uh, but all of them friendly and, and happy to be here. And, and I think that was 
you know, whatever for for whatever we we say, we might think of what happened inside the convention hall. Uh, outside uh, was was really a, a, a great success. Well, it'll be interesting to see if any of these uh, lessons that are, are learned by the Democrats, who of course have their convention this coming week in Philadelphia, and if the Democratic convention is as uh, uh, is as controversy, not so much controversy free, but if the outside of the convention hall is as a uh, 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 non rioty I guess that can't be a word <laughs> as uh, as Cleveland was. We certainly hope so. We certainly hope yep. so. Okay, that's it for this week's episode. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you have any thoughts, comments, criticisms, or any questions for our Ask the Politics Guys show, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is politicsguys at gmail.com. I can't speak this week. Our Facebook page where Jay and I post and comment on news articles throughout the week. And if you haven't checked it out, check out some of Jay's posts from the last week from the uh, from the convention in Cleveland. It's really some great stuff. It's facebook.com slash politicsguys page. And if you're listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher, we would really appreciate it if you could take a minute to rate the show and write a quick review. Finally, if you like what we're doing and want us to be able to keep on doing it, a donation of even a dollar or two, the price of a lovable friend's Thanksgiving drooler bib would really help. You'll find donation links on our site, politicsguys.com. The Politics Guys will be back next Sunday. We hope you'll join us.